Welcome to the Scale Up Valley podcast, where we bring the best of the best to help you scale your business from one million to one trillion. Today's guest uh, is a very special one. Uh, he's a neurologist, uh, a founder of a startup called uh, Medex VR. He's also on the corporate side of the table. He's the head of health innovation in hospital operations at DASA. And, uh, and he's here with us to, to discuss the future of health tech. So it would be a very special episode. His name is Victor Gadella. Victor, welcome to the show. Thanks, Mike, for having me here. Uh, it's such a pleasure to share my view of the future of healthcare with you and all the ones that are listening to us. Looking forward to it. Uh, yes, so I've gave, gave that to the to the community a little bit of an overview uh, about your career. Uh, you also have a background in you know, a master's in computer science, AI, and so on. So it's very difficult to find all those skills in just one person. Uh, in, in healthcare and in, in the health tech space. But let us know more about um, how you came here, what has been your story, and why are you passionate about this area? Sure. I think I can start talking a little bit about me as a person and then I, how I ended up working in a full-time position with healthcare technology and innovation. Uh, I think since I, I was a child, I, I always have been addicted to technology. So. I have memories of my father bringing an IBM 486 to our house and teaching how to use it and how to do some computer programming. It's, it's a nice story, but uh, putting my technology side away, uh, the fact that I think that marks the beginning of my story, at least as an entrepreneur, was that I convinced my family at the age of 10 to open a land house in my city. And it was quite an achievement because I actually took care of it in all the ways. Uh, I, I remember I'm trying to prove to them in an Excel sheet uh, that it would be provable. I was buying the computers. I, I was uh, fixing the memories. I always operating the land house overnight. Uh, there were half of this story. I don't even need to share because uh, land house are, are not a good business at all, especially nowadays. But when I, after that, until I turned 17, uh, I think all my families and friends, they would say that I will, was going to study computer science or any kind of engineering. But by that time, I, I lost one of my grandfather fathers and it really messed up with me, especially because I thought it was a medical error. So I, I was thinking about do medicine and I ended up doing a graduation medicine. And at medicine, right. after all, I had the chance to study neuroscience in Canada in the fourth year. I spent almost one and a half year there and it was, it changed my mindset because I had the chance to see for the first time startups. What are startups? They coming out of some research, people, uh, through the, the corridors, trying to raise money to invest in their project. And it, 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 it was really cold there. So I needed to go through these engineering buildings and I had the chance to, to see that for the first time. And I think my, my, I, I got in love with that. And I was involved with technology again 
because the people that were living with me every day in an everyday basis uh, had a back technology background. And then I started to doing some computer programming game. When I go back to Brazil, uh, first, I, I, I was afraid to do something completely different from my colleagues, to not do a, a medical residency, something like that. But I, I went to, to neurology, but I couldn't give up totally of this tech side. And I did my master's degrees with neurology in computer science, focusing on artificial intelligence. It was really important because I could go deep in a technical side uh, that most doctors don't have. So it's, it's easier to understand the models, to check the, 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 the scores, the accuracy, and et cetera. And I also opened my startup, MedXVR, that you said, to train doctors using virtual reality. So it's really nice. And one day, I was in a conference with my startup. I got some Google, some VR glasses. My first thing later that I, I had developed, my boss of neurology, I was almost ending my, my residency in neurology, my specialization. He paid for me to go to Sao Paulo, the biggest city here in Sao Paulo. And I, did not the, I didn't have the, the budget to put my startup in this conference, but I, I was there. And somehow I connected with two people, uh, one of them, uh, Leonardo Vedolin, which is the chief of medical officer uh, today at NASA. And within five minutes in a conversation, it put me in a Uber. We went to a, a Kubo. Kubo is the largest in entrepreneurship uh, place here, here in Brazil. And he proposed me to come to DASA after that. And when I got here, I didn't even have a, a job description. He said, okay you can create your job description. And after years, and in uh, almost three years, I'm here now as a head of uh, medical innovation at the hospital that does. It's, it's a quite nice story. Right. NASA is a very big uh, group uh, in, in the healthcare space for the ones who are listening uh, from outside uh, LATAM. So uh, can you just introduce uh, DASA as well? Sure. DASA is a company that uh, initiated with only diagnosis, radiology, pathology, and lab tests. And it evolves to our, the largest healthcare provided here in Latin America. We have more than 15, we have 15 hospitals right now. We have more than 200 uh, radiology and pathology clinics. And we also have a, a, a thesis of integrated healthcare. So it was the, one of the largest business in the diagnosis in the world, but we didn't have hostel, we didn't have uh, the primary care to provide this connection, this integrated care. So what our CEO did, he bought the hostels and improved it. He bought uh, primary care, uh, it's it kind of different here in Brazil, but it, it's, it's a way to do this care integration within the insurance here in Brazil. And we are trying to deliver the best uh, outcomes to our, patient, our patients doing some, what we call patient navigation. 
So how can I use algorithm and AI to take the patient after uh, 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 diagnosis uh, to the treatment in the in less time as possible? Right. That's that's a great expression. Uh, patient uh, navigation. Just uh, yeah. writing it down. <laughs> it's a good and, one. And we are using a lot some algorithm. The, uh, actually, our best algorithm today is to do patient navigation. So when a patient comes with a disease to a clinic, uh, the patient and the doctor have uh, a diagnosis where maybe that he's, it's something serious like uh, breast cancer. Our algorithm, NLP, natural language process algorithm, will get from unstructured data this information that the doctor have this suspicion of a breast cancer, and we are trying to do this exam that the patient needs as fast as possible. The patient goes to our diagnosed clinics or hostel, and there is also an NLP algorithm that try to detect if there isn't any alteration, anything that is serious, and in the same time that he, from this report, we try to connect the doctor if there's something uh, serious uh, with the doctor that um, attending this patient, sending this information for him. So we are trying to actually from 70 days from diagnosis for treatment in breast cancer, we are trying to do it in 15 days. It's a lot and it Makes provides us better outcomes. Right. Yeah. Being quicker and faster when you when you do the the diagnosis, uh, it can definitely save lives, right? So sure, and improve treatments and the effectiveness of uh, of the treatment. And patients get so so excited because they when you call to them doing that, they said this is so nice. No one ever called to me to understand how how I'm dealing with this. So it's really navigation. We get hand by hand with the patient and try to help him this journey. So they, they really love us because of that. By the way, we, we kind of planned to talk about uh, your startup a little bit later on, on the show. It would be good for, for the community to, to understand also your, uh, your another arm uh, of your own system. So we have explained a little bit about what you are doing with us as a very large uh, corporate in the healthcare space. Uh, and you you are still able to find energy to, to drive your or to move your startup forward. So uh, what is MedEx VR and, uh, and what are you guys doing there? Perfect. I've been working with virtual reality for at least six years right now. And I started a startup during, during my neurology residence uh, where my current partner approached me to do a neurosurgery simulator. It was kind of a R&D <laughs> uh, stuff by that time, little investment. And I love to work with uh, like game development. And I met some a friend that he's also my partner today. He's a professor at a university in Brazil and in technology and computer science. And he also had this background. And uh, we tried to get to do this simulation. 
and actually it worked very well. I mean, the simulator, it was so nice, but we didn't understand nothing about business at all because it, it, it was kind of an R&D project, but right. after that, we understand that, okay, we can make a business from this, um, but we also understand about the timing. 2016, uh, it wasn't the time to work with virtual reality uh, at all. But we never gave up. We were all, always trying to, we are always trying to understand, to check, new, to check new technology, to bring this new technology and trying to get to make better simulators. Uh, if we look, even nowadays, there's a still a, a very large uh, amount of medical error, errors happening every day due to the lack of proper training. There are patients that dies every day. I mean, if you getting back to the history of my grandfather, it may be happened to him. And during graduation today, we have a lot of synthetic simulations, uh, if, especially before the virtual reality simulations. And I think students were training with few scenarios. I mean, a synthetic simulation is always a male 170 that can simulate one or two procedures. It's so expensive. And they, it's impossible to be able to work with all scenarios that he, he are going to see after the, the, the graduation when he come, becomes a doctor. That's why the error happens. So the thesis of our startup uh, is based on this problem. How can we make some simulators that can give to the students different scenarios? It's a pregnant woman, it's a male, it's a female, it's a, a kid right. with a different disease. So uh, students can get better prepared so to, to the real scenario. And we are trying here, our purpose is to uh, diminish, try to get people and doctors more confident to all the scenarios that they are going to see in the real scenario, uh, uh, in the real profession, the healthcare space. And, I think, I think that's it. And we are working a lot. We have more than five simulators today in a platform that people can sign and, and pay on a monthly basis, a very low ticket. We are going through $200 per month for all the simulators. It's totally different from $5,000, $15,000, $100,000 of the synthetic simulations. And uh, how can I give this education for all the ones from poor universities to rich universities in, in Brazil and one day in the whole world. So that's uh, an amazing uh, vision. And uh, again, it definitely helps for people to have more uh, practice. So if we practice more, we get better at uh, what we do and uh, definitely uh, practicing we, without real lives uh, helps a bit. <laughs> when you see students, I mean, our simulators is to uh, it's designed to have a uh, twenty minutes of experience. 
when we see students having more than one hour, one and a half hour, even me, I, I couldn't spend one and a half hour in a virtual reality class. <laughs> it's so excited. It, it, it makes me feel like I'm the, the right way and I'm delivering uh, for them what they want. And is it is it a kind of B2B or B2C? So are, are the students paying for that or is the, are the universities paying for that for the students? We have three strategies here in Brazil. We are going to B2B universities because yeah. few people have the glasses here in, in Brazil. Right. Okay. But uh, at last three, three months from now, we are... Uh, delivering a platform that people can download directly from the Meta store or the Pico store is another uh, VR glasses. And they can sign there through the credit card. So it's a B2C strategy. So it's a, it's a try here. Got it. Sounds great. Outside from Brazil. Brazil is B2B. Awesome. That's that's really uh, great, and um, in order to understand the future of uh, of health of healthcare and uh, health tech, how can we use technology to really drive the future of of healthcare? It would be nice, and you you have a kind of an overview about the evolution of of the healthcare model, uh, namely in, in Brazil, um, to just walk us through that that story and that uh, evolution. Perfect. Yeah, I think the, the model is changing a lot uh, through the years. Like if we go back 500 years ago, uh, we had a unilateral model where the physician was empowered to choose the treatment based on their personal experience, um, the knowledge passed through generations. Uh, on the other side, the patient, he didn't have the chance to participate in that decision. Worse, if they didn't accept that treatment, they wouldn't get the chance to have another opportunity to talk to a physician, maybe for months, because the, those physicians, they spent most of the time traveling from city to city, etc. Right. And after 1900, uh, with the evolution of epidemiology and especially, especially clinical epidemiology, we started to collect and understand data to better understand those deceits and the treatments. It's a huge evolution. And after all, uh, emerged the evidence-based medicine in Canada, uh, which was a, a, as a solution to change from a unilateral relationship to uh, like a tripod, which takes into account the patient's wishes. It's really important. So patient can uh, go through a search and okay, for the disease, I know that there is not only one option, there are two, and he can read and he is empowered to, to, to decide as well. The doctor's experience, and of course, scientific evidence. This evidence-based medicine got us uh, where we are today. It's a huge evolution. It's a tremendous mm -hmm. evolution. However, it's still treat um, individuals in a group of way. When you go through a scientific article, it is always dividing to a control group and an intervention group. And there is a truth, there's a conclusion there. And we assume that this conclusion, that this truth is for all these patients in the control or the intervention group. 
But the big question, and I think it's what we are discussing here, is how do I take the next step towards personalized medicine? Right. Starting to treat the individual in a unique and individualized way. Mm -hmm. And this is where artificial intelligence comes in a cross-cutting technology with the potential to take healthcare to this next level. I think we, we are not able to do that without this technology. And thanks for, of course, the digital transformation, bringing those structured data, uh, this amount of data that right. we didn't have the chance to, to put our hands before. Also, the increasing computer, computational processing power, uh, I think it would, wouldn't be possible as well, and the evolution of algorithm as well. Right. Definitely. Uh, so it's 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 really impossible to do kind of case by case and then really scale up this this model. And definitely, technology is, is a great opportunity. And why we are seeing also the explosion of the um, of the health tech vertical, uh, uh, namely in in Brazil in the in the past years. Um, now that we have kind of understood a little bit the, the evolution. Uh, what are the main trends that you see uh, in terms um, of healthcare? Um, like I said, I, I think artificial intelligence will deliver, uh, will be the core technology, but uh, from AI, there are a lot of concepts. One, uh, one that I think is essential to us to understand and discuss here is digital phenotyping, digital biomarker. Got it. Uh, first off, oh, uh, what is digital phenotyping? So going some steps back, what is phenotype? Uh, we call phenotype observable characteristic of an individual expressed from their genetic codes. It's the color of your hair, it's the color of your eyes, etc. Mm -hmm. This new concept called digital phenotype, uh, on the other hand, is defined as the daily quantification moment-to-moment -moment quantification of this human phenotype, of your behavior, of your interactions in an individual level, using those data from the personal digital device. So this biosensors, those sensors collecting those data and the algorithm processing to understand a, a, a specific characteristic of the individual in this individual level. If you can use those data, this understanding to do a new diagnosis, understand the treatment, maybe to understand the best treatment for this patient, I tend to call this digital biomarker. So there's a difference here. So digital phenotype is everything of you as individual level that are, uh, we can interpret from those data. The digital biomarket is part of this everything. When you, we use to healthcare, to diagnose, to treatment, uh, to understand uh, mental health. So this is uh, different. Imagine uh, today, it's it, it happening today. We have this IKEA report about digital health trends. They talk a lot of that, and especially in neurology, that's my area. That's, that's why I'm so excited when I talk about that. 
the, your uh, smartphone collecting the, the tremor of your hand, the pattern of this tremor. This same smartphone or smartwatch collect the gate speed. Where, how, how, how are you doing with that heart rate? And all those data being collected in predicting disease. It's really easy to say it uh, when we see someone that are forgetting about their story, their memory is not uh, really well to see. Anyone can say, okay, someone have dementia. The, the problem here is how can I see, how can I uh, no understand that someone is is starting to develop the dementia in the beginning of the disease. Right. And those patterns that artificial intelligence can process in an objective way right. are essential to the to we go to this next step because the treatments, the modality of treatments will change to this to genetic treatments. And if we can do their diagnosis in the beginning of the disease. Even when we can't see, we can't see only those algorithms checking those small patterns. Right. Could we would deliver better outcomes to our patients? That's really a a great vision. And do you think that we are closer to that, or this is still a big dream in the industry, or do we already have some startups and and, and corporates who are already applying? Uh, this kind of technology to to improve patient outcomes and and of course to to improve lives and, and save lives. Perfect. I think uh, I'm gonna split in two two directions. One is in the R and D side, we are starting to enter in the age of multimodal research. It's a uh, it's a concept of artificial intelligence where the inputted data, they come from different source. So what is multimodal artificial intelligence research in healthcare? The idea is to use genetic data, all those letters, they are extracted data, it's easy. Image data, pathology, radiology, mm -hmm. data from sensors, and data from electronic medical records to predict the outcomes of treatment. But we, we are doing a lot in oncology right now. There are some startups like Sophie Genetics. I think they are doing really well with that. Uh, they collect the data and it's, it's a research. And the goal here is to provide a digital twin of a care pathway or a disease. Digital twin uh, is a concept that has been used for years in, in other sectors, which is basically not an algorithm that can reproduce a test in a virtual environment even before the real environment. So I made an algorithm to try to predict the overall survival uh, of a patient with this specific breast cancer. To make this algorithm, I used a lot of genetic data, a lot of electronic medical records, thousand millions. So when a patient comes to the clinics and he, she is diagnosed with breast cancer, I will try to input all those data 
and I, I will receive the, this outcome, the, this prediction. Even more, because I'm trying to simulate this scenario in a virtual one, I can understand the treatment type one, two, three, four. Which one maybe is the best one for this patient? This multimodal research, uh, they are working with different diseases. We, there's a long time to have a, one that can uh, works in, in all the diseases, but in an RD perspective, I, I see a lot of this type of research. On the other hand, I think in, in, now another scenario is the startups working with digital biomarkers to understand, not to diagnose, but to understand the progression of a disease. So Alzheimer's is someone that has been working a lot. Uh, there's some startups, uh, even in Europe, uh, working with that where they collect those, uh, those data from digital device, uh, iPads, how, how the patient is typing, the, the speed of typing the virtual keyboard, the speech, how they speak, what kind of content they, they are trying to, to, to search on the internet, and trying to put the, this patient in a more objective, progression line. Today, mm -hmm. sometimes we have, okay, you are in the phase one, two, three, or four, but I don't really want to check if I, to understand if I am the phase one. I want to understand in the phase one, where am I? Right. So we, we are going into a more granular way to understand the disease, not only four phase, maybe 100 phase, and you can understand exactly where you are. So I see a lot of startups doing this in all those scales that were made in, in medicine, in, even in evidence-based medicine. Heart failure is something that is really important. So there is a, a classification of heart failure that uh, we must ask to the patient how many meters he walked uh, before he started to feel uh, with dyspnea, he, he can't breathe well. Even me, I can't say if I, I walked 50 meters or 100, it's so hard. So we have a watch that can check how many steps and meters he, he walked and the saturation, so, so how, how he's breathing. So this is all changed the skills and those meds. Right, and, and especially when people are uh, with those kind of conditions and neurological conditions, uh, it's very difficult for them to be objective and to track uh, that data, as you said, in an objective way. And so the kind of answers that they will get in and share with the doctors will be very subjective, which will not help in terms of the diagnosis and, uh, and the treatment and, and the progress, right? So... Uh, and a lot of times there are also symptoms as brain fog, um, which makes everything very overwhelming, uh, super confusing. So it can be also a nightmare in terms of experience for, for the patient. And of course, also the doctor not having enough information to make decisions and to help the patient. It's, it's something of a lose-lose uh, situation, difficult to, to bridge. And, and I think uh, one of the main contributions 
to the merit of raising healthcare is that because as you said, it's so subjective the 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 information that the patient is providing to the doctor. And in the clinical, we have two steps. One is this interview, and the second one is the clinical exam. So we call it physical exam, where I will uh, try to listen the heart and etc. In the metaverse, with all those digital phenotypes, the way that we will make this physical exam is totally different because we are going to be based on moment-by-moment uh, moment data that is collected and are trying to, to and those data give us a pattern to understand the disease. I'm going to try to give an example here. We have two yeah. diseases that uh, start uh, very similar, almost the same. Uh, Parkinson's disease, and we have another one that is uh, super palsy uh, paralysia. So the, this other disease is so much worse, worse than, than Parkinson's disease. And it starts the same. It's tremor, uh, bradykinesia that the patients is slow down. The only difference is in the gait. This, we call it PSP, this other disease that starts like Parkinson's. Um, the patient tends to fall. Uh, to 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 the back, it, it's different. The 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 gait balance changes, and then in a in a if you get to, if you come to my clinic right now as a neurologist, uh, the the story would be the same, and the physical exam would be the same. The only difference is the balance of the gait, and maybe in this metaverse, in this virtual uh, uh, scenario, with all this digital data doing. Uh, showing to doctors those patterns as a clinical support decision system, I could make the correct diagnosis in the first consult. It, it would change the way most people say it's metaverse. Okay, I'm seeing the patient in a screen and now I'm going to see in a immersive way. It's not all about that. It's because the dynamics of the concept, uh, the, the changes in the physical examination will change forever and will give more information to enhance our diagnosed capabilities. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. To, uh, again, we are discussing the, the future of of health tech and uh, that's incredible all the potential of the technology that is uh, available already uh, and now we need to be able to to help that technology to serve the market or to get to the market and, and serve more patients uh, and bring more value to to patients and i think that's one of the main and, and difficult equations of uh, an health tech uh, startup or, or scale up or, or business uh, in general it's kind of combining the the quality of the doctors uh, the quality of the medicine that is there the technology uh, at the same time the business model the the business team so combining all these the patient outcomes the nps the patient experience so having all those variables uh, aligned in the same direction to to help the the lives of patients get better and at the same time to make to make sense from a sustainability point of view, because we are seeing 
a lot of crisis in the healthcare system and COVID-19 also brought that into, uh, into the discussion, into the public discussion, uh, is how, how do we make, how do we ensure that we don't have anyone uh, out uh, of um, a very important right, which is to have access to, to healthcare and to get treated. And at the same time, how are we able to, to pay for all to have access to, to that treatment? And, and the technology can also help to, to solve that equation. But that, that's a lot of variables that we need to uh, sort out. Any thoughts uh, as, as you are both on the corporate side and on the startup side on, on how to combine all of, all of this or any tips for entrepreneurs uh, there? Um... I think we all have the purpose to deliver the best healthcare to all those patients. Uh, unfortunately, as you said, there's a lot of uh, variables that we must take in con into consideration. I'm gonna try to add this technology and disruptive innovation uh, in a scenario so uh, we can open our minds. Yeah, that's great. They always ask for me, Okay, artificial intelligence. Few people know how to make it. Uh, it's so expensive. It's true today, you know, Mike, because when you make an AI model, after all, it's a formula. It's a, a TXT with 32 kilobytes that can change everything. And to deliver this uh, algorithm to everyone, you must provide a, a, a virtual machine. A DevOps can make that. But this formula in the future, when we can achieve those diagnoses, those progressions, it's so cheap. It, it, it will accommodate all the ones I think if we make those AI algorithms for the good to benefit health, healthcare, mm -hmm. and if we all have this purpose after that, they all ask like, okay, we have the public session here. This is, it will never get the chance to use AI. Okay, are you sure about that? Sure, yeah, it's 100,000 to make an algorithm, 1 million. Okay, maybe now. But in, within uh, five to 10 years, it, it's on the formula. If I have this formula and I want to share with you, it will be so cheap so to scale that. So I think that the, the tips that I give to entrepreneurs is that to have the mindset to do everything in a scalable way. And even if it's expensive today, Put your purpose as well in first to make something that can really change the world. I mean, really can in someday, maybe 100 years, you will, we will get the comp uh, competitive advantage through 100 years. But after that 100 years, you can deliver this technology and help saving lives. So, don't put money in VC first, put your purpose first because you, you won't give up and you, you certainly will make history.
Love it. Great, great reflection. And this is the moment of the show where we get into the final uh, segment where I ask a quick question and um, and you kindly give me a, a, a brief uh, answer. So let's go with, with the first one. If you would have the opportunity to have a coffee with, uh, with yourself uh, at the beginning of your career, uh, especially in, let's say, in the startup, in the, in the corporate or innovation world, uh, what advice would you offer to your uh, younger self? Uh, don't push yourself too much. <laughs> <laughs> I think I pushed myself too much. I'm 30 years and I'm, I'm here right now, but uh, I didn't need it. But it's okay. I'm happy. <laughs> it's part of the experience. And yeah. what, what are you the most proud of on your journey so far? I think uh, what I'm most proud is that I, I'm found my purpose in the world. It's something so hard. Uh, I think everyone struggles so much for it, and I, I I know what I'm what I must do right now. It's awesome. Peace of mind. Uh, worst advice ever received. Uh, why do you care about technology? <laughs> Why are you studying that? You won't be a doctor. You will. Oh my God. You, yes, you will never be a doctor because you, uh, you are not focused only medicine. This is the worst advice ever. No one must have to be technical in just one thing. I think we must understand and study other things as well. I was kicked off of the hostel. I was kicked off of a hostel once well, because of that. Yeah, because the, the, my professor didn't get the right diagnosis and he did, and he kicked me off because he said, okay, never mind. <laughs> Incredible story. And that's, that's definitely the worst advice ever received and because that's why you mm -hmm. are uh, in the world, the world of innovation and why I'm, I'm so happy to have you on on the show because you are able to combine so such different uh, worlds uh, in, in just one mind which is quite difficult so let's go into the resources uh favorite book uh right now originals i think in english it's originals by adam gant i like that yeah favorite movie or series as you wish movie awakening it's a movie, yeah, it's a movie that there were Parkinson patients and dopamine and they delivered the, for the first time the, the L-Dopa, which is the medication that we use today. It's so nice and it's a, a real story. Series, I, I was watching nowadays Meeting Anna. It's interesting because there is an entrepreneur side of the history that is curious Got uh, about her. <laughs> Sounds great. And, and finally, the favorite podcast, excluding, of course, this one. Of course, this one, no, it's not fair. I, I, I really like my friend here, Lorenzo Tomé, which makes SD Connect. Uh, it's a startup as well, and he's doing a great job in Brazil delivering this content for, for doctors and um, uh, providers and insurance so they can all understand the future of health as the connect. It's in Portuguese. 
could you could you repeat it? Ask ask. It's S D S D Connect. Yes. Connect. Connect. Okay. I can send the right. to you. Sound, it sounds great. SD connect. So it, it's a, a port in, in Portuguese, uh, that one. It is important in Portuguese. Okay, <laughs> sounds great. Uh, we also have uh, Portuguese uh, listeners uh, on the show, and I'm sure that they will uh, benefit a lot from, from that resource as well. Victor, it was really a pleasure to have you on the show. Um, thanks so much for, for making the time, and uh, more than happy to have you back to share the, the progress both on the corporate and the startup side, and also especially to discuss the future of health tech and, uh, and being in the business of improving lives uh, with, a, with a great purpose, as you said in the show. Thanks so much. Thank you, Mike, and, and let's see. Uh, okay, quarterly. And to our community, uh, we keep bringing you the best of the best to help you scale your business from 1 million to 1 trillion. See you soon and keep scaling. Mm -hmm.